Good morning, everyone. Pastor is continuing on in Romans. We're in the 14th chapter, the first 12 verses, and Pastor's message is entitled Mutual Acceptance. Him that is weak in faith, receive, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believes that he may eat all things, another who is weak eats herbs. Let not him that eats despise him that eats not, and let him that and let, and let not him which eats not judge him that eats, for God hath received him. Who are you that judges another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Yea, he shall be holden up, of, he, he shall be holden up. For God is able to make him stand. One man esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regards the day, regards it unto the Lord. He that regards not the day, to the Lord he regards it not. He that eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he that eats not, to the Lord he eats not, and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no man dies to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. But why do you judge thy brother, or why do you set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, for it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Amen. Join me in prayer, please. Our Father, you have saved us, Lord, unto yourself. We are your people, called by your name. By grace, we have been saved, and you've called us out of a whole host of different customs and traditions and cultures, Lord. And so where the gospel is powerful to save us from our sin, our great problem, Lord, I pray that that same gospel, the same grace that you establish us in, will enable us to live our lives out in unity, that we would have real fellowship with one another, even though it's certain that we'll disagree on various things, Lord. I pray that we would find our unity, the, the principles by which we conduct ourselves among ourselves in Christ and what he did for us so that he would be Lord of all and that we would please him in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we've come to a new section in Romans. We did an overview last week about the entire section, which I think is encapsulated in Romans 14 through chapter 15, verse 13. And I argue that the main problem probably with the church at Rome or the main issues came up because of a, a very, we could say, logical or rational problem that, that would come up and does come up even to this very day. You have here in this massive and, and main metropolis in this time in the world, in Rome, 
a church made up, made up of primarily of Gentiles, but also a large population of Jewish believers. And you have thousands of years of differences of tradition and customs and laws with the Jews in relationship to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles themselves had different traditions and scruples. But these, these are natural things that would happen. The gospel is the power of salvation, the power to save us from our sin. This is the great problem of humanity. It's the great problem of every individual, of every nation, of every people group, of every culture and custom. And yet every one of those have different traditions, different convictions that we come to Christ with. And I think Paul's concern is very important and very deep. His concern is that the gospel, which is the power to save us, in one Lord, in one God, has the power to overcome our scruples. The things that don't commend us before God, they don't determine our salvation, whether we're saved or not, should not then divide us. They shouldn't cause us to turn away one <coughs> or accept another. So if you were here last week, you heard this overarching principle that's really found in Romans 15, 2 and 3. Let us, each of us, please his neighbor. Now that should cue in our minds what the apostle also taught there in Romans chapter 13, to love our neighbor. Love is the fulfilling of the law, right? But we are to please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. This is the principle underneath everything we will learn about today. How do we, and I know we in this church, have differing opinions? And I don't want to say opinions lightly. I mean convictions. We have differing convictions in this church about things we eat, about things we wear, about things we watch, about things we drink, about days we observe or don't observe. We have difference. If you, uh, it's very interesting. The old uh, saying is that you can come into a group and you'll find, oh, there's so much talk about agreement. We just are just in such unity because we don't speak in specifics very often. Once you start talking about details, I, I would venture to guess if I brought up COVID this morning and the details regarding COVID, we probably wouldn't agree on all of those details. We might have a lot of agreement, but we would vary. And that's just two years. And as I said last week, we're talking about a thousand years of history with the Jews and the Gentile distinction. These are big issues which are not primary. They're not essential. Amos, in chapter 3, verse 3, the prophet said, Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? And he's speaking very logically here. He's speaking of a cause and effect scenario. You will not set off on your intended travels. We're planning to go to Montana tomorrow, and we planned this out months ago. I don't think any of you are going to meet us there at the airport and have the same agenda as we are, right? But he's talking about there needs to be agreement in order to go somewhere. In order to, to have a goal accomplished, there needs to be an agreement. And Paul is here to say 
The unity of the church does not depend on eating and drinking and days observance of things that aren't essential for your salvation. That's not where we're going to find our direction. That's not where we're going to set off in this world together on these matters. But they are there. So how do we live in relationship to one another in unity? Well, first he says, we need to have welcoming motives. And I I single out verse 1. It's connected with all the rest. But I single it out because it has to do especially with the motivations of how we receive or accept or welcome each other. Verse 1, he says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. And here's this first principle. We need to have welcoming motives that aren't guile, that don't have guile intermingled with them. And and by that I mean you don't invite somebody. He says here the context is you don't invite the weak, and I'll define what weak means as we go along and strong. You don't invite them in order to correct them about their opinions. If that's your goal in inviting someone into your congregation or into the fold or into the, the group, the the click of the strong, so you can set them right, you have the wrong motive. For welcoming that person. The quarrel is to correct here. That's your impulse. That's your desire. Yeah, we'll welcome you so that we can set you right on these opinions. And we'll dis- define opinions as we go along right. But these are disputable matters, matters that can be disputed. And there is something underneath this that, that we should find very uh, applicable right away. There are matters in this life that we may not sort out in each other, and not even in ourselves. There are matters, disputable matters, which will remain disputable matters. And those things we ought not to seek as a means of welcoming each other as primary. You see what he means? Don't receive somebody on the basis that you will be able to correct them on these opinions because that becomes the basis of your unity that will become the basis of what you're standing on the idea of welcoming is key throughout this entire portion and as we'll see this means welcoming not just in part but it's a full communing member of a body part of the body of Christ we saw that humility needs to mark the body of Christ in chapter 13, verses 3 through 8. The mind of Christ needs to mark us, and that's exactly the apostles' concern here. When did God welcome us? When we were weak. And so the strong welcomed the weak. In the King James, it says, but not to doubtful disputations. Secondly, the weak and the strong are contrasted in verses 2 and 5, and then in verse 21, he says, In verse 2, one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Verse 5, one person esteems one day as better than another while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, I've already said, and so we read in verse 2, that the weak person eats only vegetables. Now, we need to remember this person is weak in the faith. This person who's weak, I've, I've heard it said in my lifetime many times, 
that this is some sort of physical or mental weakness, that there's some sort of problem with this person. That's why they eat vegetables, but the strong, the strapping, manly man will eat meat because we are strong and, and masculine or something. I don't know what that does to women in that category, but it's wrong. This is matters of conviction. Faith is what this concerns. And the weak person eats only vegetables. I'm not going to really go into the details about eating and drinking today. I'm not going to go into the details of why they only ate vegetables or why some would eat meat and all that. We're going to get to that in another sermon. I just want us to, I want us to really focus in on the principles of unity. And then we'll decide what eating and drinking and wine and all of those things mean later. But the principles of unity are fundamental. And so that's what I want us to, to, to focus on today. The weak and the strong are designations that accord with knowledge. Knowledge of their conscience. Knowledge of what they understand about their position in Christ and therefore their liberty because of that. A little bit of... Uh, a, reminder of the background of this church. We know that in Rome, all the Jews were expelled from Rome. I believe it was 49 AD. They were, they were expelled from Rome because there were problems that came within the Jewish community over this person called Christus. Christus. In, in, the, in the history books, this person was known as Christus. And we believe that person is Christ. That this problem arose within the synagogues and within the believing Jewish community. There was dissension. There were quarrels. And so in Rome, all of them were expelled. We know that this is recorded in Acts. Several places is talked about. And so here we have a church that was probably primarily made up of Gentile believers as the Jews were cast out of Rome and now have started coming back into Rome when Paul is writing this. And so you have here now... a. A situation, a historical situation where a lot of the market that the Jews probably depended on to observe their laws and their dietary laws and their observance of days, a lot of that was gone in the culture. It was removed in those years that they were removed. And so now they're coming back into a very Gentile place again. They don't have a lot of the same safeguards. And so here you have uh, marketplaces that are selling meats probably offered to idols. And, and those Jews, they don't know if the meat was or was not, but they don't want to eat anything that was offered to an idol. And so they just abstain altogether. And they're eating vegetables. Perhaps that's one of the reason. But this weak and strong designation has and accords with what in their conscience they were able to eat in order to please or not eat in order to please God. This means the strong understood, though, what Paul says in verse 14 here. Verse 14, Paul says he's one of the strong in chapter 15, verse 1. But in verse 14, he says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus, in the Lord Jesus. That's a new paradigm of reign, a new reign for a Jew. The Lord Jesus means something big when it comes to new covenant and he says, I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. And so the strong and the weak designation have to do with conscience, what knowledge they have before God. And the strong and the weak then are defined by what they understand regarding their liberty in Christ. The strong understood 
that they had liberty in Christ to eat anything as long as it was received in thanksgiving. And in the right category, we'll see in the remainder of this chapter. We also see in verse 21 that wine was part of what was being refused by the weak here in this context. And I'm not going to get into that today. But the freedom of the conscience in matters of observance of days was also an issue that decided whether somebody was in a weak category or strong. Verse 5, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. The weak then would be those who, for conscience sake, were obliged to observe holy days or to refrain from certain observance of days. Their consciences saw a distinction in days and a value of days. The strong esteemed all days alike. That is, they were free to either observe them or not observe them. They weren't bound in their conscience that this was something that necessitated honor to God to observe or to abstain. I'm reminded of the, the ironic phrase I heard once that any Christian who doesn't observe Christi Christmas is un-American. And, and I think it says a lot, doesn't it? If, if, if you don't observe Christmas, you're un-American. And the point there is if you observe Christmas or not, it doesn't distinguish your place in the body of Christ. I observe Christmas. I think every Christian should rejoice to be able to observe it. But it's not necessitated on anybody's conscience to observe it. And the strong understand that whether they observe it or not, they are not bound in their conscience. In Christ, they are free. While the weak would say, yes, I must observe this day as unto the Lord. The designation of the weak and the strong then has to do in the final analysis of who is right regarding our freedom of conscience. Right or wrongness is what it has to, to do with. Now, no one wants to be right or wrong, do they? <laughs> Nobody, let me say this, no one thinks they're in the category of the weak here. <laughs> Their conscience means that they believe what they're believing has to do with what is right, right? Nobody is going to hold to something they think is wrong. And so there is a sense where we're going to all view ourselves in the category of the strong in this section. But there is a difference, and we'll, we'll see how that difference unfolds throughout the text. A question that comes to my mind, that has come to my mind in the past when I come to this text is, does this mean that we should just kind of leave our consciences, pursuing of conscience, pursuing of truth in these matters off altogether? And the apostle says resoundingly, no. Just because there's these categories of strong and weak in these matters of opinion does not mean we should be relativists. That's very popular these days. Just don't hold an opinion or a conviction on anything. And I'll, I'll just give you a hint right now. I think it's impossible to do that. I think we're living in... We're living in an unrealistic world when we think that we do not hold to, to convictions. I think we're seeing that in our day these days. I mean, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, 5 years ago, except this, except that, 
That's just them doing what they want to do, right? Let them do what they want to do. You know, it's all opinion. It's all relative anyway. Now we see that those opinions and those convictions are now being turned to say, you have to accept me. You must celebrate me and what I deem and what I devise and who I am and what I want to do. You have to affirm that in me. Convictions will be formed. Opinions matter. There is no choice in it. You will fall out somewhere. And Paul says in verse 5, he says, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. You must, you ought to come to a place that your conscience before God is clear. Why? Because you don't want to live in a way that offends God. You don't want to live in a way that brings offense to your neighbor. It matters what you do and what you believe. Now, Paul's concern here is that it doesn't matter in regards to your salvation. In the sense that you have been accepted before God, these issues of meat and drink and observance of days are not what you need to be united. Agreement on these matters are not what you need to be united, but you do need to have convictions because how you please God in the world will be formed by your convictions. Number three, and we see here the three underlining principles for mutual acceptance. Mutual acceptance is what I've called this sermon. This is so important. Mutual acceptance means the strong accepts the weak and the weak accepts the strong. Differing convictions, differing opinions have something bigger than their opinions that ground themselves and their decisions on whom they unite with that are greater than their convictions on these things. And there's three of them that he gives us. Three principles for mutual acceptance. First, we welcome one another because God has welcomed us. That's underneath everything. Verse 3, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Now, Paul deals with mutual acceptance here by both the designation of strong and weak believer. The strong are not to despise, that is, they are not to treat as nothing the one who abstains. And this is the temptation for the strong in this category. This is the one who has the knowledge of their freedom in Christ. And it's summarized well, I think, in 1 Corinthians 8, 1. Here's the, here's the temptation for the strong. This knowledge of conscience, our freedom in Christ, your freedom in Christ, puffs up. It makes you arrogant. That's, that's the designation. That's the, that's the natural way that the strong falls. You weak, you don't know your freedom, and I can't even stand you. I mean, you're, you're so ignorant. You know, this is what knowledge does to us in matters of conviction or opinions. And I've seen it in my own life. The person that thinks that they can drink or eat just can't believe how stupid the one is who has scruples over these things. How can you be so bound up in 
not understanding that Christ has set you free. And Paul says, that propensity to despise your brother must not be in us. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up, he says. Love is that issue in our hearts that understands that over these matters, I will not condemn my brother in their ignorance. Now, the Greeks had a whole history of philosophy, many different movements that would coincide with this sort of arrogance, this hubris, this pride in knowledge, the Gnostic movements. Many different Hellenistic, mystic movements were based on if you have knowledge, you are something in society. You are better than those without. That was one of the great differences between master and slave relationships. The masters had learning. The slaves had nothing. It's one of the things that made them much less in the scale of society than their masters was the amount of knowledge they had. This is still in our society today, isn't it? We have elites, this sort of elitist mentality today. Those who are knowledgeable in various categories are the ones who should rule and reign over those who don't have the same sort of knowledge. The arrogance was very common then, but it had no place in the, in the church. We saw that in chapter 13, verses 3 through 8. Within the church, humility reigns. Let this mind be in you, Philippians 1, which was also in Christ Jesus. Humility reigns in the church. And here's the main emphasis for why it reigns for the strong. Because we're weak. You think you're strong? God had to welcome you in your weakness. <laughs> There's no place for boasting for anyone in the church of Christ. That's the fundamental reason in this context why the strong are to accept the weak, because God has accepted and welcomed us. But the weak are not off the hook, are they? He says here, let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. So the one who is strong has the propensity to disdain or to think of nothing as ignorant, the people that are weak, where the weak, their propensity or their, if you, yeah, their impulse is to judge those who partake, those who don't observe. <clears throat> There's a temptation here whose conscience sees that certain things are unclean and clean in themselves, recognize the distinction of days, know that they, in their hearts, that they shouldn't eat or shouldn't drink or partake, there's a propensity for them to judge those who do so as doing wrong. The strong aren't primarily tempted to legalism in this sort of way because they see there's no real virtue in any of these things, partaking or not. But the weak who say in themselves, it's, you must observe this day, you shouldn't eat that, you shouldn't drink that, their propensity is to judge the one who does partake. And so Paul says, do not pass judgment. Now that's a command. One that is not often regarded by the weak. Do not pass judgment. 
On what basis, then, are we to unite? If the strong understand the foibles of the weak and are not to despise them, and the weak are not to judge those they think are displeasing God with what they're doing, that's essentially what they believe. They're not to judge the strong. On what basis do we, we, we unite? He, I, we've already seen it. Verse 3 again, though. God has welcomed him, he says. Now, he says this especially to the weak because he's just told the weak, don't judge the strong. Do not judge him, for God has welcomed the strong. But then in chapter 15, verse 7, which has the whole context, especially the strong in mind, he says, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. There's the basis. There's the acceptance. You don't judge, you don't despise your brother who's weak or strong because God, through Christ, Christ has accepted you. Why? For the glory of God. Therefore, the overarching principle, the first principle that urges unity in believers who disagree on non-essentials, and I argue these things are non-essentials, is God's acceptance of both. God has accepted the strong. He's accepted the weak. Second principle, and we'll build on these things, of mutual acceptance is Christ is Lord. Christ is Lord of both the strong and the weak. He is master of all his people, verses 7 through 9, for none of us, strong or weak, lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. So Paul's concern here connects with God accepting us and it is again foundational, namely Christ alone has earned the right to control in detail the lives of his people. The scruples, the small things, which he does unto life and death. He's speaking primarily here in context to the weak Christian still, who has the propensity to judge. He's getting pretty hard on the weak Christian. Oftentimes, as I was growing up, I heard chapter 14 in regard only to the strong, which the next portion of the strong, we are told, don't eat anything, don't drink anything if it causes your brother to stumble. That's the responsibility of the strong. That's what it was majored on as I was growing up. Here, Paul is doubling down on the weak. And this is important for us to hear. This is scripture telling us, if you believe that it's wrong for your brother to eat something or drink something, you need to be corrected so as not to judge your brother, but to allow Christ, who is Lord over your brother, to correct them in these matters. Now, there's a lot of questions that are going to come up in our minds. I'm not going to be dealing with those today when it's regards to food and drink. But what if something's unhealthy? But what about alcohol? But what about those things? Those are going to be answered in this text and in Scripture. But for now, we need to understand these principles. And here's the principle that should be in the mind of the weak brother here. As you look around you and you say, that person partakes of this, that's wrong. Christ is their Lord. Christ is their master. And so he says in verse 4, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? He's speaking again to the weak. It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. 
Notice three things here. First, the weak brother is not to pass judgment on the strong because Christ is the master of the strong. Now, this is, this is a command from the apostle. And so secondly, this is important. This binds the conscience. Think about what Paul is doing here. He's saying these matters of conscience are things that we must not separate over, and I'm giving you something for your conscience. If the Jew, imagine in, in this early church, was convinced that he couldn't eat food sold in a marketplace because it might have been offered to idols, or he's not going to drink wine because it may have been part of that sacrificial offering or whatever it may be, or I have to observe days, and I'm, that conscience is born in him because of what? The law and their desire to obey the law. Now Paul is saying, you have a Lord over you, Jesus, who has bought you. And he's giving them something to obey, namely the Lordship of Christ. And he's already taught they're not under the, the old covenant anymore. They're not under the law in that regard. But Christ is their Lord. And he's the Lord of the strong. So those two things underneath the weak should encourage the weak. In fact, it should encourage you, if you have scruples, to mind your own business, as my grandma would say. <laughs> wow, that's pretty harsh. No, that's not harsh. I think it's lighter than what Paul is saying here. Christ is your brother's Lord. That's his business to judge your brother, not yours. And that should free you. <laughs> you are not the police over everything your brother or sister puts in front of them. You are not the one who looks over your shoulder on, on Christmas and says, Why aren't they? Do they have a tree? Do they not have a tree? Do they put garlands around? Do they put up lights? Do they not? You are not to police your brother or sister in those issues because Christ is their Lord. So be free from that. You should be encouraged by that. Third, listen to what he says implies towards the strong. The strong needs the strength of the Lord to be upheld. Do you hear that? Do you see that? He said there, and he will be upheld. That is the strong. He's telling the weak, Jesus is their master. He's their judge. And he, the strong, will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. And this is to give the weak brother consolation. The strong will be saved. Not because they're strong. All the people who think they're strong in here, it is the Lord who upholds us. Do you see that here? <laughs> This allows for no pride, no hubris in these issues. You're not going to stand because your conscience tells you you can drink and you can eat. <laughs> You're going to stand because the Lord upholds you. He is able to make you stand. It's, you see, Paul is saying in, in a nutshell here, what you drink and what you eat is not, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you partake of it or not. It doesn't commend you before God. So don't 
Get your pants in a bundle because of what you eat or what you drink, either way or the other. That is not how you're accepted before God. It's not how you will stand before God. It is God who makes us stand. It's his judgment that is ultimate. These matters are not matters that will decide your salvation. And so of the strong, he says, he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. We should all be so grateful for that. To the weak and the strong in verses 10 through 12. To the weak, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or to the strong, why do you despise your brother? You see how he's related that to those earlier verses. Why do you pass judgment? Why do you despise? These are the two problems that are propensities for the weak and the strong brother. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. There, Paul says, your works will become evident. Whether they are lasting, they will be like gold. Whether they are temporal, they will be like wood, hay, and stubble, and they will be burned up. But that will be known then. You know, there's people that can partake of everything with a broken conscience. And to those people, as we'll see, that's sin. And in the judgment day, we'll know who the strong and the weak are. Right now, we will not know. There are people that don't partake, And that in the judgment day, they are going to be shown as gold because they were faithful in their conscience before God. It's not about what you eat or drink or what you put on, the apostle says. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So the weak brother must submit to the reign of Christ, the Lord, and his judgment of the one who eats and is indifferent about days. While the strong must realize that we are not stronger than Christ. The strong are dependent upon the strength of Christ to uphold us. Therefore, we must welcome the the weak because we ourselves need the welcoming grace of Christ. And we do not receive that because of what we eat or what we drink or our liberties, that's given to us far removed from any of those things. The third principle of mutual acceptance is this. Both the weak and the strong Christians are motivated by the same principle. The honor of the Lord. Both the weak and the strong are motivated by the honor of the Lord. Look at this, verse 6 and 7. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats. Now this is the weak. And the, verse, the first phrase there. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. That's the weak. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. That's the strong, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord. That's the weak and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. Now this is all important in the context because it allows us to see what Paul is dealing with here in this context. He's not dealing with the Galatian heresy. He's not dealing with the Colossi heresy that was a matter of salvation, whether you ate or drank or observed days in Galatian, or you were circumcised in Galatian, or in the Colossian, there was a mystical heresies, whether you observed this angelic thing or the days observance and, and other laws. Those were heresies that regarded your judgment before God as whether you belong to him or not. Paul is not dealing with that problem here. 
He's not dealing with a legalism that would tell people, you're not saved if you do this. Or if you do this, if you don't do this, you're not saved. He's dealing with two types of people who believe that if they don't partake, they are honoring the Lord. And if they do partake, they are honoring the Lord. And so underneath both of them, they both have the freedom that the gospel is their salvation. In Christ, they are justified by faith alone. And what they do, they want to do to the honor of God, whether they abstain or whether they partake. And he says, you have this in common. That's good. That's where your conscience is bringing you, is so that whatever you do, you do for the glory of God. That should unite us. When it becomes a matter if you do this or if you don't do that, it's a matter of your salvation. That's where it needs to be condemned and it needs to be sorted out and stopped. And Paul says there is no other gospel and you should be cut off if you start pushing legalism that you do this or you do that or you abstain from this and you abstain from that and you will be justified. That is not true. That is against Christ. But here it's not that issue. Here it's just about food and drink and abstaining or not abstaining. Here it's about observing of days or not observing them. And of that, the underlining reason for both the believer and the unbeliever is this. The honor of God. That's unity in the most important of things. The honor of God. Paul is urging unity among true believers in the true gospel who held differing convictions, real convictions on issues that did not and would not determine who would be saved. And so he's stressing mutual acceptance exactly because they were holding to the true gospel and Christ was Lord of both the weak and the strong and everything they did they were trying to do or not do to the honor of Christ with thankful hearts. You see, if food and drink and observance of days ever becomes the main thing, faith in Christ is not. You see that? If you're so concerned about what you're eating and what you're drinking, what you're not eating and what you're not drinking, that you don't do it to honor God, but you do it to be accepted before God, they become the wrong priority. But that's not what's happening here. Yes, they did it to please God or didn't do it to please God but they didn't do it to be accepted by him. They understood they were welcomed already. And they were saved by grace. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord, verse 6. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. The one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Do you give thanks when you eat? Do you give thanks if you eat vegetables only? Do you give thanks for them? Then you're honoring God. By abstaining to drink wine, do you give thanks every soda you drink and every glass of water and every glass of milk if you think milk's okay? That's a controversy these days, isn't it? It is. Is it moral to take a calf away from its mom in order to produce milk for us who are not bovines? Oh, oh, I scoff at such things, but they are there. 
and you might hold them, so forgive me for scoffing if, if I've hurt your, com- your, your convictions. But that's the issue. We will find convictions on a whole variety of issues. There are things that are unhealthy for us to eat. We know that now. Should you condemn somebody who partakes of those things? Should that be the the grounds of how you unite with your brother or not, or your sister or not? God forbid. 1 Corinthians 10.31 If this is the purpose of our eating and drinking or abstaining, we can unite with joy while we hold differing convictions. Whatever you drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So in summary, Paul's not speaking to a church that has been corrupted by heresy here. He is speaking to a church with real convictions about different things that are not essential for salvation, that do not commend us before God or whether we eat of them or not, whether we partake of them or not. His purpose is that the power of the gospel, which has brought both Jew and Gentile together, which has brought, if I could say it here, Polynesian, Norwegian, Ukrainian, Filipino, English, German, whatever it is that we would define ourselves up before Christ, we are united in Christ now. And those customs, they are different. Those, those cultures are different. Those traditions are different. Even the way we've been brought up in the church, we will have different traditions. What matters is Christ. What matters is the gospel. And that power has the power to bring us together with our differing convictions and scruples and say we will not be separated because of them. Hear this. Some of you might think, oh, I have no conscience about this whatsoever. I don't think we're in any danger of this. Churches have, innumerable churches have separated because of these things. People have left churches over these things. People have designated themselves an entire denomination because of these things. They have defined who they are based on what they don't eat or what they eat. This matters that we understand that they don't matter. Fundamentally, it matters that we understand that they don't matter essentially. They matter, but they are not essential. Now, there's questions that we all have. Food, wine, observance of days, vaccines, clothing, music, movies, an innumerable things, social network or whatever, social whatever. Instagram, TikTok, should we be doing that? All that stuff. God willing, we'll come to some details regarding those things. But fundamentally, these three principles must stand for us to be united. The strong must welcome the weak since God has accepted us. The weak must not judge the strong since Christ is Lord of all. 
And all who believe the gospel, weak and strong, desire that everything that we do or don't do honors Christ. If these three things are beneath us, we will not be separated. We will become inseparable to the glory of God in all that we do or all that we don't do. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Teach us through it. Help our consciences to be bound to it, not to our own ideas or opinions. And where our consciences are formed by your word, and, and are in the category of the weak. Help us to be humble to be taught by them. And, and if we're in the category of the strong, help us to be humble not to condemn the weak. Lord, you are Lord of your church. You gain that right in your death and in your resurrection. Help us to leave all authority in these matters of opinion, in these matters of non-essentials, in your hands, so that we would be united. We need to be united in these times. We need to be one. As Christ prayed that we would be one, even as he is one with the Father. We pray for that kind of unity. In Jesus' name, amen.